Empire Podcast this week. We're talking, talking. No, wait. Talking, talking. Talking. We're talking, talking with Tolkien star Nicholas Holt. I did not know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. It's pronounced Tolkien. Tolkien. We've all been doing it wrong. Judy for Dench years. helped because she did the voiceover for a documentary that I watched. Okay. Judy Dench is never wrong. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that just spent an inordinate amount of time looking at Avengers dildos. How's your weekend planning going? If only that were a joke. Well, we should explain that, shouldn't we? <laughs> Hello, Father. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. And we are joined, as you've already heard, by James Dyer, who, I mean, is here, and that is inarguable. That's Thanks. true. Yeah. It is Welcome, true. James. Should we, should we discuss? Do you want to introduce Helen before we discuss the dildos? Not that those two things are connected, but just, you know. What? Jeez. No, they are not. Hey, no. you brought them up on yeah. your laptop. No. Well, in fact, at your yes. request. And that URL came up surprisingly quickly, Helen. <laughs> Almost like it was cached. It was not. Oh, my God. This is slander and libel, I mean, just for the record. You say that. Uh, please welcome our geek queen. Thank you. Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Helen, why were you telling us about Avengers dildos? You were tell Somebody else... Right. I... <laughs> I am being completely reasonable and getting a large, extremely geeky necklace made by a lovely lady from Greenwich Market. They go by Richardson and Richardson. Go check them out. They're lovely. Yep. Anyway, in the course of discussing this kind of geeky tie-in what products. What you to build? Yeah. <laughs> you guys... On? What sort of necklace was this? No, it's just a necklace. I'm not okay. going to spoil the surprise, you know. Okay. Yeah, Hashtag, it's, it's for the live don't show. spoil the end game, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in the course of discussing geeky tie-in products, you brought up uh-huh. Avengers dildos. Helen, you shouldn't feel embarrassed. We're very sex positive here. We're fine. I mean, it's all good. I'm not all good. not sex positive. I'm just maligned. For our for yeah. our uh, listeners, we should probably say that if you do Google Avengers dildos, which of course you know all well, yeah. there's an astonishing and collection available. Yes. Uh, some of which, the Hulk one in particular, will do you a mischief. What I liked about it is that there's variety to it. So the Captain America one is a butt plug, America's butt plug, <laughs> um, which is nice. Uh, the Black Widow uh-huh. fleshlight is a bit ew. They're all ew yeah. to various degrees. But The you know Thanos what? one is particularly upsetting. The yeah, Thanos one is very upsetting. What is the Thanos one a, it's, it's, a gauntlet? It's a, it's a gauntlet. Yeah, it's it's a, gauntlet. a giant fist with infinite shims on it. Uh, all right. I well, can't recommend them. Although we will be giving listeners. them out at the live podcast on Saturday. <laughs> And hey, we're in the Bell End game now. Oh, so, God. come on. No. That's fine. Was it? That's totally fine. <laughs> we may have to put the explicit warning on this week's Do podcast you think? Yeah, think? right from the off. But that's what happens when you bring up dildos. It's true. Anyway, welcome. And uh, what should we do? Should we have a question? Yes. Mm, let's have a question. And it comes from Twitter. And it's from at I am Gal Incognito. Good to know. And they say. After enduring Nutty by Nature 2 with my son, he's oh. recovering from surgery, so I couldn't argue. Our I'm so best sorry. wishes to your son. Starring Will Arnett, Peter Stomari, Bobby Cannavale, Maya Rudolph, and Jackie Chan. I wonder, what animated film cast would you prefer to see together in a live-action movie? Good question. Ooh. Mm. This is a good question. I have an answer. Okay. And that answer is Shark Tale. Uh-huh. So we're going back now to the real heyday uh-huh. of the sort of celebrity voice cast in a DreamWorks animated film. Okay. And yet they used it on Shark Tale. I mean, you've got um, Will Smith, you've got Robert De Niro, you've got Martin freaking Scorsese, you've got Renee Zellweger, you've got Angelina Jolie. That would be a fun cast for a film. It's a fun cast. Yeah. But is it a better cast than Ants? Well, the thing is, you know, Woody Allen these days is problematic, isn't it? I was going to say Ants otherwise, and then I thought, you know what? No, I'm not getting into it. Oh, yeah, but it's got, okay. It's got Woody Allen. Yeah. 
It's got Sly Stallone. Uh huh. It's got Sharon Stone. Yeah. And other people. Chris Walken's in it, right? Uh-huh. That's four. That's four good people at the time. I love ants, so... I love ants! Yeah. This is great. See, the problem is, most Disney animated movies, they go for no marks, like the one and only wickedly talented Adele Dazeem. Like, no one's ever heard of her. <laughs> she'll never she'll never make an impact on stage yeah. or on screen. Come or on. Jonathan Groff. What's he ever done? I mean... Like, what? nothing. What? So... Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a fair point. We and, can't even uh, joke about and that. And Mindhunter. Okay, that's another fair yeah, point. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's fine. But uh, they're not really starry cast. No, they're not. And even Pixar in the beginning wasn't all about the stars. And even when they go for stars, they'll mix it up. You know, they're yeah. not they're not going for, you know, sort of Tom Hanks level every time. It's I mean, it's Tom Hanks and Tim Allen who are, with the greatest respect, not on the same level. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, Ed, Ed Asner, obviously an incredible career, but again, yeah. he's not a marquee name to most kids who are going to go and see Up. I don't know. I'd like to see, would you not go and see an Ed Asner, Christopher Plummer double Bill. Oh, I mean, I would, but I wonder if I was a seven-year-old, if I would drag my parents to that movie. Do you know what okay. I mean? It's not like what I'm saying is they're not going for the obvious A-list cast; they're going for characters. Yes. Whereas DreamWorks, Whereas DreamWorks, especially in the yeah, early days, went for those A-listers. Were like, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. But which is why I would choose Kung Fu Panda. Oh okay. no, that because is a good answer. Jack Black, mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman, Jackie Chan, Angelina Jolie, oh, Brian again. Cranston. Uh, J.K. Simmons. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. You say Kung Fu Panda. I'm saying three. Kung Fu Panda 3 is actually what I'm picking out of at this point. I'm going to raise you with Madagascar 3. Okay. So Whoa. then that has that has Chris Rock, Ben Stiller, Jessica Chastain, yep. Jada Pinkett Smith, yep. David Schwimmer, the aforementioned Brian Cranston, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, and also it's a brilliant film. It is better than two. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> because I'm also going to rule out... Western adaptations of things like Studio Ghibli movies, so because they've got really good cast. They have right? got really good. So Ooh, Howl's Moving Castle, Christian talk Bale, us the cast. Yeah. Billy Crystal, uh-huh. and uh, Emily Mortimer Blunt? Watson. Bloody Mortimer. It's one of the Emily's Emmas that I get mixed up. I think it's em- Emily Watson? Mortimer. Emily Mortimer. What? Emily- <laughs> Emily Mortimer. I've had three hours sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Four. Um, and we're going to see Endgame again after this, aren't we? Yeah, so we that's are. going to be fun. But in 4DX, Woo. which I've never done before. I've never done the 4DX. Uh, have you done 4DX? No, hell no. Well, I did the thing at the, uh, you know, the thing at, at Madame Tussauds. Uh, it's a no. Marvel animation at Madame Tussauds, and no. it's 4DXy types. Like, it pokes you in the back, and then it squirts water in your face. Hang on, we talking about it, the dildos again? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and, yeah and, it, and it blows air. It was really. Frankly, what? uncomfortable, <laughs> unpleasant, and I hated every second of it. So Where I don't know if that's toys? the same as 4DX. Well, I've I've done that kind of 4DX at I don't know Disney or Universal mm, or one yeah. of those places. The ones that I've done in like normal cinemas have been a little bit more, a little bit less upsetting. What are basically, they, what, I mean, what do they do? Like well, they vibrate and they yeah. So you get like the impression of like being in a moving truck or helicopter or whatever. And I remember when somebody got shot, there were sort of little pings in your back. So you could kind of feel the bullets go past almost. But it makes no sense from a story perspective. Like, let's be honest, it is 100% gimmick. But at the same time, it was very entertaining. I find it just, it would be distracting when I'm trying to watch the film. I mean, it is at first and then you kind of sink into it, as it were. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse has got a pretty decent cast that I would like to see in live action. So Shamik Moore and um, Hayley Steinfeld, she's in it as well. And... uh, we got Nicholas Cage, Brian and... Tyree Henry, Mahershala yep. Ali. Oh my God! Chris Pine. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. John Mulaney. John Mulaney. Oh, that'd be so good. 
So maybe that one? Yes, I would actually 100% watch those people in a movie. This isn't supposing an adaptation of these movies. This no. is supposing a completely different film that just happens to have the same cast. Yes, exactly. So, for example, let's take Spotlight and remake it and recast it with these people. Does that work? Oh, my God. <laughs> or Reservoir Dogs, you know, or great ensemble movies, right? Right. Okay, all right. Glengarry, Glen Ross. Right. Who do you cast? Take the cast of Madagascar 3 <laughs> and cast Glengarry, Glen Ross. Do it now. Oh, come on. Um, you got Cranston. Well, he... Cranston right away. He would have to have the Jack Lemmon role. That's a good choice. I mean, That's I a don't choice. see who else Shelley the Machine Shelley Levine. Shelley the Machine Levine, yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> would be Alec Baldwin. With the always be closing Always speech. be closing. You yeah. think that would be Sasha Baron Cohen? I mean, who else do you have I'm in going Madagascar to twist it around. 3? Okay, bring it. Jessica Chastain. Ooh, that would be good, actually. Okay. You know what you need to sell real estate? Yeah. Need brass balls to sell real estate. And Imagine we know, her doing that speech. And we know from the three-star film Molly's Game that she looks great <laughs> in a suit. All right, all right, you've gone Can't there. Open worms fine, everywhere. Fine. If you're going to say that, and since we're talking about animated movies, I need to take both of you to task over something. Oh God! I watched Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Oh no! It is oh. not good. It is so. It is good. not so funny, and it is not entertaining. Yes, but you're the enemy what of are you fun. Like? You are a Burke. Like you raved about that so much. It's the greatest it's superhero movie of the year. It's brilliant. amazing, and it's just like, oh my god, what a snooze fest. Well, it's not the greatest superhero movie of the year because in that year we obviously had Black Panther, Infinity, Infinity War, and Spider-Man and Spider-Man 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 Spider-Verse, <laughs> and of course Ant-Man and the Wasp, the true number oh, one film oh, of the year. Oh god! Speaking of three-star films, <laughs> that we can agree on. But Teen Titans is hilarious. Yeah. How did you not if love If you're it? six. Yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, Teen Titans is amazing. The yeah. guy great is phenomenal. And yeah. you, my friend. I did not even smile. Of course you didn't. James, I've known you for years. You're one of my best friends. But you are <laughs> rancid scum. You really are. That seems fair. I'm <laughs> okay. never watching that film again. Great. And you okay. should both be shot. Back but that's to Glengarry Glen Ross. Hurrah. All right. So we got uh, the Jack Lemmon role is Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we got the Alec Baldwin role. Yep. That's Jessica Chastain. Yep. Right. So we got Ricky Roma. We got Al Pacino. Yep. Who is Al Pacino? I mean, the obvious one would be Ben Stiller to me. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, can we mix it up though? Is it is there a Chris Rock? I don't know if Chris Rock. That? I don't know if Chris Rock plays that role. I don't know if he's got the energy for it. I think he the plays. Right energy, I mean. Oh, you know what? Actually, though, that might work. That might work because the Ed Harris role, Dave Moss, oh. there's a lot of anger in there. Yes. And who would you get? Mr. Furious. So Ben Stiller plays that role. Wow. Chris Rock is Ricky Roma. Mystery men call back there. Hello. Not every day you get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and who else is in this, this movie? So Sasha Baron Cohen. I think he would be good in the Jonathan Price role of the sort of beleaguered client yeah. who is a bit in it over his head. So that leaves two roles. It leaves... Alan Arkin, who is the, the put-upon salesman, George, and then Kevin Smith, the mm. dickhead office manager. Mm. Who do you cast in that I mean, role? Jada Pinkett Smith is not put-upon, so no, she she's would not. have to be but then the she, dickhead, but that seems, I mean, which is actually, also out of character, but she could I think be a, she could do it. She, oh, Schwimmer would be a, be a perfect, Schwimmer is a perfect Alan Arkin, which means that Jada Pinkett Smith has to play the Kevin Smithy role. Although... <laughs> I will say, Schwimmer can be a great dickhead. Like, I was just watch, re-watching Band I mean, of Brothers recently. You don't even need to watch that. Just re-watch Friends. Well, He's oh, come on. Dickhead oh, to the Ross. max. Ross is a dickhead. Ross is not I'm a sorry. dickhead. I'm sorry. I'm here to break it to you. Ross is a dickhead. Phoebe is a terrible human being, Phoebe but I love them. Phoebe is dreadful. And as Hugh Laurie says to Jennifer Aniston's Rachel on the plane when she's flying over to try and destroy Ross's marriage, you are a terrible person. 
and she is. I mean, she literally abandons her child in the final episode. She's about to fly off, and she's forgotten <laughs> she has a daughter. There's no sense of where she is, or who has her, or whether she's accompanying her mother abroad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, so if someone can make that Glenn Gary Glenn Ross happen, that'd be amazing. Uh, <laughs> next week, we'll be recasting Madagascar 3 with the cast of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. <laughs> Would watch. Might be problematic because of him and Mainly, but, you know, it's totally and, fine. And also Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon's not problematic. He's not problematic, but he is unfortunately deceased. No, it's an animated movie. Okay. Oh, you know who does a really good Jack Lemmon impression? Kenneth Mainly. Oh, God. <laughs> if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as I am Gal Incognito found to their cost, then you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We're on the Twitters as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine. And we're on email podcast at empireonline.com and going from com to omg because it's time to talk about this week's movie news and we should start with the news that avengers endgame has done pretty well at the all box right, office fine, it's done all right done at the box office well. hmm. you know average <laughs> Everyone's now rushing to find out just how well yeah, it's well, done. It was it was one point two billion over the weekend, and they yes. they there was some speculation that Disney was actually lowballing those early figures. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't checked back since because I'm still reeling from that figure. But uh, that is not just the best opening weekend ever, but it's the best by a considerable distance. Yes, indeed, almost doubling. I think its own. Um, next competitor. Yeah, uh, the $1.2 billion global debut of Avengers Endgame is, you know, anyone who listens to the podcast and has been a long-term listener to the podcast will know I'm a bit of a box office geek. And I, if I'm honest, I didn't think I would ever see this. Maybe ever is a strong word, but I didn't mm. think I'd see this sort of opening for a, a long, long time. It smashed pretty much every record that was there to smash. Uh, it broke... Infinity Wars record for the biggest opening of all time in the States, with which was $257 million a year ago. It broke up by $100 million. Yeah. This is a three-hour movie. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's kind of incredible. Uh, it broke the global record, as Helen said. It doubled it. Pretty much, yeah. It was 680 or something. Mm-hmm. So. Go for, the, um, the question is now, as you say, you are a box office nerd. If yeah. you had to Groundhog Day this, if you had to mm. prognosticate, where do you think this will end up? Okay, this is a big question. Well, it question. all depends on the multiple, James. So you want to multiply your opening weekend by up to three. Pretty much nobody goes beyond that unless you have incredibly long legs, which we don't expect for a film that is this front-loaded. Oh, the giant man has long legs. He Thanks, does. Chris. Thanks for adding that. So the worst multiple in the MCU is something like 2.7 or something for Captain America, the first Avenger. Assuming it's a bit more than that, you are looking at a challenge to Avatar. Genuinely, I did not think that I would see Avatar challenged at the box office for a number of years. And so put it in context, Avatar is the number one film of all time with yes. 2.7 billion, mm. uh, just over 2.7 billion, in fact. And that is streets ahead of its of the number two, which is Titanic. Then at the moment it's Force Awakens, then it's Infinity War. At the end of this weekend, even if this movie drops 60 to 65%, which is not inconceivable given how many people saw it in the first weekend and mm. the need to see, and that might have been sated by the second weekend, if it drops around 60-65%, it'll still have a second weekend of 500 million thereabouts, which will put it already past Force Awakens and Infinity War yeah. in 10 days, yeah. Yeah. which is incredible. And actually, and Infinity on, War had a lower drop-off than that. Yeah. 
um, with a similarly, you know, impressive mm. opening, we thought at yeah. the time. So it is entirely possible that it won't be a 60 or some so percent drop off. It'll be less. It might be less. You never know. You never know. People might be going back for that hot giant yeah. man action. You you, <laughs> you just don't know. Uh, so quite honestly, I think this thing goes past Avatar. Really? Yeah. It, it it's it's pretty. I much... wouldn't be surprised if it goes past Titanic. Yeah, it... I'd be astonished if it goes past Avatar. But, I think I but... think it'll be within about two hundred to three hundred million of Avatar, and that's in incredible in weeks. and of itself. Yeah. I mean, it's it's currently at one point four eight, so it's definitely going to be number two all time. It's apparently top ten all time adjusted for inflation and ticket pricing, which is unbelievable, uh, given the numbers of people who went over the years, over decades yeah. as well, of re-releases mm. to things like Gone with the Wind and Snow White. It is going to be top 10 of all time adjusted, which is amazing. So this has always been a blur of numbers for anyone who's not in the box office. So let's talk about the significance of this movie and why we think it has done what it's done. Because this is incredible. I genuinely do not think we would see an opening this big, and uh, I'm not sure we will for a long, long time. Cut to The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> But it's, it's not, but again, it, it, it taps into kind of what Avatar was, isn't it? It's not a film so much as a cinematic event, a cultural landmark in many ways. Avatar was partly because it was returned to James Cameron, but more that it was the technical achievement and it was the re- God help us, the reinvention of 3 But Avatar was completely different because Avatar didn't open to these numbers. Avatar was... No, Avatar was all yeah. repeat viewing. It, yeah, it yeah, had it, the long incredible legs. Incredible longevity. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what it is. And it didn't have Giant Man, to be clear. No, it, it didn't have it Giant Man. It does, though, have great Leonoptrix. It does. That's true. It does. Yeah, it's just... and the question here will be this, which has peaked very, very early or spiked very, very early, how long it's that sustainable. That's the thing, because, um, you know, these numbers are unprecedented, so there's every chance, you know, it might drop 50%, yeah. it might drop 80%. We yeah. don't we don't know. Mm. But it but might not. No, I, I suspect it'll drop mm. like a big blockbuster normally drops, which mm. is 50, 60%. Yeah. So you know, if, if that happens, quite honestly, Avatar's toast. Hemsworth, I don't know if you saw Hemsworth on Instagram the other day, did a post thanking the fans for the biggest opening weekend of all time. And he said, we're on our way to be in the biggest movie of all time. And I was like, hold your horses there, Hemsworth. Mm. He speaketh too soon. I don't think he does. Mm. I think this thing is going to outstrip Avatar. It would be a more impressive achievement than Avatar. Because Avatar's reason for hitting those numbers was partly due to the fact that 3D tickets cost more money, partly due to the fact that people went back to see it because 3D was a gimmick and it was exciting and it was new before other filmmakers ruined 3D. (laughs) Whereas this is just, it's succeeding on its own merits. Like, if it makes that amount of money, it's because people want to see this film for what it is. Well, yeah, it's succeeding on the merits of 20 films before it as well. But it is, and it is an event. And, And, you know, love Marvel, hate Marvel, but this 22 film arc is something the likes of which has never been before. Like, yeah. It's an incredible achievement. Yeah. And this is a, an incredibly satisfying ending to it. So, I mean, we're all freaks. We've all seen it multiple times. But we're not the only freaks out there. There are a lot of other freaks all watching this multiple times. Mm-hmm. And and that's just in this reality. But it it feels, yeah, it feels different to me. You know, we've, we've all lived through phenomenons, uh, cinematic phenomenons. We've all lived through things like The Force Awakens doing incredibly well and yeah. Black Panther mm-hmm. doing incredibly well. And, you know, over here, the Bond films are, yeah. I think Skyfall, I think, is still the number one film of all time in this country. I mean, Helen watches them many, many times. <laughs> so, so often. Yeah. That was down to Helen, just repeat <laughs> just, business. I mean, I just can't get enough of James Bond, was it? Bond, yes. You know, and I, Yeah, I, I, I think it'll beat Skyfall as well. You think? Yeah, it's it open to what forty-two over here. I'm not aware of that information. It's something like forty-two, forty-three. So, and it was about hundred for Skyfall. Yeah, if memory serves. So. Yeah, something like that. It's it's got a good chance at, at the very least. But uh, for example, I was trying to see it in a IMAX the other day, 
Uh, and so I, the only screen I could go to was 9 a.m. Wednesday. And I looked at this is 9 a.m. Wednesday screen, and it was pretty much sold out. And mm. the only seats left were the seats that give you a crick in your neck. So I just went, nah, screw it. But that to me was indicative of what a cultural event this this is. Mm. Mm. What I think's also good is that not only are we doing a live Endgame podcast on Saturday and an Endgame spoiler special, and we reviewed it last week, but we've now spent at least 15 minutes talking about it again. It's taking over the entire podcast. All right, should we move on to some other stuff then? <laughs> Absolutely um, not. Uh, but we should mention as well that our live Endgame spoiler special has now sold out. It has. Uh, so it's we're the dildos that did it. Very, very excited <laughs> to see you guys there on Saturday night at King's Place. There may be returns available at the box office. So if, if you are in London on Saturday night, Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you, then may the 4th be with us and just maybe pop down to King's Place around 7 o'clock and there might be returns available on, on the door. You never know. And yes, our in-studio Avengers Endgame spoiler special we haven't been able to record it until now because of all sorts of stuff. But we are going to record it today, as you're listening to this, Friday. And it'll be up my sleep <laughs> levels notwithstanding. It'll be up probably Sunday, Sunday the 5th of May. So look out for that then. And then, as I said last week, we're holding back the spoiler special interviews with the Russo brothers and Marcus and McFeely, the writers, until later in the month. Uh, but I understand that they may have done one or two other interviews elsewhere. You can seek those out if you want. They won't be as good as ours. <laughs> they just won't. I mean, they might be better, objectively speaking, but I refuse to acknowledge them. Wow. But there you go. That's so generous of you, Chris. <laughs> I have. Wow, so magnanimous. I like to rise above it, you know? Mm -hmm. So there you go. And let's move on to talk about something else. Yes. Can we talk about the most important film news, well, TV news of the week? Sonic and Ross no. is being rebooted with the cast of Madagascar 3. No. Damn it. It's news that is my sun, my moon, my starlit sky. I live in darkness without. What's happening? Willow, the TV series. Oh, no. Yes. Ron Howard and John Kasdan are working on a TV series of Willow. You know, the Warwick Davis movie from yes. the 80s? Yes, I do. Yeah, I mean. 1988, directed by Ron Howard. Thank you. Produced Val Kilmer's Lucas. best role, I think we can all agree. Get that's Get true. the hell out that's of true. town. Mad Mardigan. Mad Mardigan. Get out. For life, baby. Nick Rivers. FTW, <laughs> Gay Perry, also FTW. And they, they and Mad Mardigan, no, FTW. Rubbish. I'm not a Willow fan, by the way. I don't know if that's come across. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just I, I love it. I think it's great. And I would like to see Warwick Davis play that character again. So I am here for it. And I hope that Disney uses the sacks of cash they now apparently have and just throws them at the original cast to get them back. Uh huh. They're all too old. What are you talking about? I don't care. It's a sequel kind of thing further down the line there's no such thing as too old you ages <laughs> I, I also love that this apparently came about via pester power that John Kasdan kept on at Ron Howard while they were working on Solo going no but make something with Willow bring back Willow and just like completely pestered him into making this show um, I just think if that's I make Willow hilarious. will you go away will you leave me alone <laughs> please stop following me home every night <laughs> can we for a moment no. Talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, must we? Did you watch the trailer? I did. Were you as upset by it as I was? No, because I never played the game and I don't care. It doesn't care. matter. Like, it's, you don't even have to have seen the game. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's freaky and upsetting. Yeah, it's freaky and upsetting, but I imagine I wasn't as upset is what I'm saying yeah. because I don't have any connection to it's, Sonic. It's, 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 I, words fail me. But it, it's not hashtag not my Sonic. Um, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I can't be dealing with that. The, the anthropomorphized look of that hedgehog. I mean, 
the blue, a, yeah. faster yeah. than light hedgehog thing that pretends to be Quicksilver. I just no. And and I mean I'm not even sure the tone they're going for. So they've taken him, they've uncaricatured him, they've made him look quote unquote realistic. Uh-huh. And yet, well, yeah, because he's 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 much more sort of like um, like super deformed, like large head, small body. You know, he's much more cartoony. Yeah. And they've stretched him out and made him look a bit like a real human-sized blue mutant he hedgehog. Looks, he looks a little bit. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unfinished. You think? Yeah. Well, they've got the work experience guy on it. I'm not well, I mean, sure. that may be true. One of the two. Well, someone on the internet, because because the internet, reimagined their Sonic looking a little bit more, you know, caricatured. And it made, it looks a lot better. Like, I, I would have definitely gone that route. But they didn't ask me. I don't know. so why. weird. Uh, what did you think of, um, you know, James Morrison looks like he's going to be the put upon oh, every man. Cyclops, what are you doing? I know. And then what about Jim Carrey? Oi. I don't know the character. I don't yeah. know anything about him. I mean, it's not much to know. It's Dr. Robotnik. Eggman. And it doesn't matter what the character is, yeah, because really it's, it's Jim, Jim Carrey being yeah, Jim Carrey. Doing yeah. his Jim Carrey thing. Exactly that. Which, in fairness, we haven't seen for a long time. Yeah, exactly. No, we haven't. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's he's not been, like, crazy wacky Jim for mm. ages. Yeah. So that was quite interesting. So someone's saying this is like a sort of return to the 90s. This is a, a bit yeah. of a callback, you know, yeah. in, in that you have Sonic and you have Jim Carrey, and they're both 90s, mm. in a way. So, nostalgia? I wanted to see Knuckles <laughs> yeah. the Echidna. I see. I don't. Sonic the Hedgehog passed me by so damn fast. But I, hmm. as you know, I'm not a gamer. I play one game and one game only. Is that and FIFA? That is FIFA. Mm. And where's that adaptation? You know, um, I only play one game too. Which is Free Cell, the game of life. That's the one, the game I play. Yes, okay. definitely life, not Free Cell. I've stopped playing Free Cell. Does, free Cell. Free Cell. Is that still a thing? I don't know. It comes as standard on PCs. Does it still? I don't know. I've I've stopped playing it. I oh, had to stop right. playing it. I you don't play any cold, other game. Free Cell's just solitaire, isn't it? It's a form of solitaire, but it's a much better one than solitaire because you can always win. So you get obsessed with playing the same game over and over again until you win because there's always a way to win. Except for there's rumours of like there's one, you know, format of cards that you can't win, but it's, there's like 36 million games. So there's one You're apparently. You're absolutely right, Helen. This sounds far better than World of Warcraft. I know, right? This is why I don't play the actually addictive Did you ever ones. play Minesweeper? Do you no, remember Minesweeper? My dad is addicted to that. This is no horror we're, curse, isn't it? We're a really... Shit-free Windows games. <laughs> We're a pretty radical family in yeah, our game playing. Clearly. Trivial Pursuit, that's what I, that's my game. That's a great game, mm. isn't it? Yes. Trivial Pursuit taught me that hedgehogs masturbate. Uh, one of the questions one of the questions was, do hedgehogs masturbate? No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Do hedgehogs masturbate? And it's a yes or no answer, right? And you have to go, well, it's obviously going to be yes, because that's... Otherwise, what what's that question doing here? It may have been the Yellow Genus 2 edition. Do hedgehogs masturbate? Yes. I don't believe I, this I is a true you. thing, either in reality or that it was in that game. I feel this is like one of these things it's where true. You've, you've mixed up your own weird fantasy life with reality again. <laughs> oh my, I've been writing some more Sonic the Hedgehog yeah, slash fiction yeah. again. So maybe that could be something he does in the movie. Perhaps, but he'd, be, he'd do <laughs> it know. so quickly, it'd be over very fast. <laughs> Oh, I feel seen. This is a very rude episode of the Emperor Podcast. It's all isn't gone it? wrong. Yeah. yeah. Should we talk about Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Because we can, can, can. Yes, uh, because it is going to the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, QT has been locked up in an editing mm. suite for the last few months, trying to get it done in time to premiere at Cannes because that's kind of his thing. Yeah, it's not. It's not really a surprise, is it? I mean, the, the rumours when they said there were, there were more films to be announced were immediately, oh yes, and that'll probably be Tarantino, assuming he finishes in time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, seems reasonable. 
he's one of their favourites, isn't he? He's always going to be invited there if he has a film to show. And it's in competition as well, mm. which is interesting. So, yeah, I'm very excited about this one. Two hours and 45 minutes, apparently. Oh, a veritable snip by his standards. <laughs> My goodness. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Uh, there's been some casting news this week uh, for The Suicide Squad, which is James Gunn's next movie. Of course, it is a soft reboot, which apparently is a phrase, uh, of Suicide Squad, which was... A mess? A film. Just a horror show, wasn't it, really? But anyway, James Gunn is writing and directing a sequel, and this week he's added David Dastmalkian to the cast as Polka Dot Man. And also Daniela Melchior, who's a newcomer, has joined the cast as Ratcatcher, who is... Uh, normally a Batman bad guy with the emphasis on guy, but links like Gunn is flipping the gender of the character and Ratcatcher can control rats. And Polka Dot Man, uh, yeah, I must admit I'm not au fait with the comics, but Polka Dot Man apparently wears a suit that is covered in Polka Dots. It's Mr. And Blobby. Polka Dots can be, yes, it's Mr. Blobby. Blobby. David Dasmalkin, who I don't know if you guys remember, but last week I was telling you about my experiences at the Avengers Endgame remember, World yes. premiere oh, when I was sitting just across from my good friend Lawrence Larry Fish Fishburn and... David Dastmalkian, a.k.a. Kurt from the Ant-Man movies, and the weird creepy guy uh, in The Dark Knight, and now, of course, Polka Dot Man in The Suicide Squad. Yeah, so really his so, second DC character in a way. Yeah. I like to think they were friends, and I'll hopefully get on set of that one. Sure. Just to hang out with him. Well, of course, that will be an interesting set in the sense that the director will be making another film really before the film yes. comes out mm. right yeah. so uh guardians of the galaxy as now been introduced it will be shooting in 2020 and suicide squad is due out in august 2021 so that means james gunn is going to have some exceptional time management issues yeah. to work out i mean he he seems like an organized guy you know he seems like he has stuff sort of under control, he yep. will need to. That's uh, that's a heck of a lot of work for the next two years. Yep, he will definitely need to exercise some gun control over the next hey. two years. There's a message Maybe. for you there, America. Yeah, listen God. to the Empire podcast. Oy. Yeah, this is this is very interesting. Not unprecedented, of course. Yeah. You know, I believe. Um, what was it? Guy Ritchie was making another film whilst the man from Uncle was still being finished. Um, King Arthur. King Arthur, yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you want an example of filmmakers making movies whilst making other movies, then Steven Spielberg is the one yeah, who true. made Schindler's List whilst doing post-production on Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of incredible. And signing off episodes of Animaniacs. Apparently I mean, that's an important thing, right? I genuinely think that's important to know that he was watching Animaniacs at the same time. And not sleeping. Presumably not, yeah. but yeah. But, uh, you know, we're, I, I'm looking forward to the Suicide Squad. Gunn took to Instagram this week. Did you see this? That uh, he took to Instagram and posted uh, a photograph of his own personal Suicide Squad comic book collection. And I think it's perhaps to head off cynics like, oh, I don't know, me and <laughs> others who have maybe gone, Hello. well, that was just a gig that he yeah. took when he was fired from Guardians 3. And maybe it, maybe it might not mean as much to him as Guardians, but he's clearly going no 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 I really like the Suicide Squad comic books and I really want to make this movie which is why I'm still making the movie and then I'll I'll segue into Guardians mm. 3 listen you know our feelings on Suicide Squad but hopefully the Suicide Squad will be fantastic and hopefully we'll get two great movies from James Gunn within a yeah. few months of each other he, I guess he, he certainly knows how to handle an ensemble um, of weirdos and creeps yep. and, and odd people so yep. I think it could work really really well for a Suicide Squad so do I and if the Suicide Squad is R-rated and also if he's filling it with a really interesting cast and goes kind of full Dirty Dozen which is what the David Ayer movie didn't really do yeah. in that none of them were expendable really 
So maybe if you go full Dirty Dozen and you actually do begin to work through your cast and you can have some interesting heroic deaths oh, and whatnot. Polka Dot Man, definitely dying. Polka Dot Man is a guy. Yeah, he's fucked. No, he's going to be the breakout star who becomes the leader of the Suicide Squad too. Well, I hope so, because my good friend David Dast Malkian, I'm just so excited to see him finally breaking through after all these years. Here's some news for you. Okay. We are halfway through the final season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, we are. That is a hell of a thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, we can't talk about it, can we? We can't talk about it in detail, but we don't need to, Helen. Do you know why? Because oh, every me. week on the Pilot TV podcast, we do a special Game of Thrones spoiler special at the end of the episode where we break down the latest episode in minute throne-splaining detail. That sounds great. It can't does. wait for that. Oh, it's going to be amazing. What do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, loads of stuff. Dragons. Cersei, dragons, things, people, death, yeah. mourning. You know, it's going to be great. So Chris McQuarrie has been talking about the 7th and 8th Mission Impossible movies, and as fate would have it, he was talking about them to me and Empire Magazine. Yay! Okay, so shameless plug. On the cover of the new issue of Empire is John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, and uh, McQuarrie can be found. uh, There's a a big old piece about McQuarrie. He is one of our 30 filmmakers we have chosen for our 30th anniversary, hashtag Empire 30. And there's a big old article there talking about his evolution as an action director and how he's changed the game for mainstream action filmmaking in the last few years, going through all his movies, including Way of the Gun. As part of that conversation, I also spoke to the likes of, oh, what's that fella called? Maypother. Um, Cruzy Maypother, that guy. Penelope Cruz? Penelope, no, Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom of course, Cruise. Of I spoke to Tom Cruise and Simon Pegg and some key collaborators of Macquarie's as well. His editor, Eddie Hamilton, uh, one of his cinematographers, Robert Elswit, people like that. So uh, it's a really interesting article. But as part of that, we spoke a little bit about the 7th and 8th Mission Impossible movies and his plans for them. And while he wouldn't go into specifics, sure, uh, he did say that he was looking forward to but also daunted by the challenge and that they had basically pitched two movies and now they have to justify two movies <laughs> and so they're in the planning stages for those and it's uh, going to be really fascinating to see what they can do and we, we talked a little bit about what you can do with, with Tom in the next one what you can make him fall off or climb up and you know he said you know falling from the moon is difficult it's impossible because of the gravity and oh, all sorts of stuff he's just not trying hard enough he really needs to pull his uh, finger out quite frankly yeah uh, so you can pick up the new issue. It is on sale right now. Uh, I wrote some of it, so apologies what did you for like, that. Chris? I wrote the Macquarie stuff, and I wrote a piece about Rocket Man as well uh, because I thought it was a sci-fi film. Uh, it was only when I got on set that I realised <laughs> it was a drama by Elton John. How embarrassing! By then it was too late, too so late. I had to write about it. You know, my understanding like, is the whole film is a dramatisation of that scene between Tony Todd and Nick Cage in The Rock. <laughs> Yes. You're yes, it. it. You're the Rocket Man. That's yes, it. it is. No, I'm very excited about Rocket Man. I've seen some footage. I think it looks tremendous. So uh, fingers crossed indeed for that one. And uh, there's loads of other great stuff aside the issue as well. It's available right now in all good and evil news agents. Tell them Empire sent you and you get a 0% discount. Wait, do we want to tell the evil news agents that we're sending people to them? Like, Might that lead the evil news agents to trace us back to us? It's possibly you're overthinking this. Possible. What would an evil news agent be? They'd be missing pages from the paper. All the porn mags are on the bottom to make it easier to get them. <laughs> oh, that'd be awful. And what, the kids' mags at the top? Yeah, and the Mars bars mm. are behind the counter. Yeah, only Cigarettes stock. are out front. Oh, I see. You see what I mean? Yeah. Only stock total film, you know, that kind of thing. What's, what's that? T- total, total, something, something. Total film? Yeah. Never heard of it. No? Hey, we should launch a film magazine back home. That's a great idea. <laughs> Called Total Film. With a U. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the films that are out this month. So many films. Well, 
because it's Northern Ireland. Well, like three two films. films. <laughs> two films. Both of them have got Adrian Dunbar. <laughs> That's no bad thing. No bad thing. No bad thing. He's great. Hear my song. Nicholas Holt and Tyler Perry this week joined the cast of Taylor Sheridan's next movie, Those Who Wish Me Dead, uh, which I'm very, very excited about. This is about a teenager. It's a bit like Witness. It sounds like Witness to me, like a teenager who witnesses a murder and has moved into the Witness Protection Program up in the Montana wilderness. Uh-huh. And... Uh, two trained killers come after him. Now, Angelina Jolie is also in the film and uh, we think that she might be playing the boy's mother and we think that Nicholas Holt might be playing one of the killers. Now, I spoke to Nicholas Holt for this week's podcast and you'll hear that in a few minutes and we talked a little bit about the film but I didn't want to go into specifics because, well, he clearly didn't want to share specifics (laughs) because he's literally just signed on to the movie but uh, I'm very excited about this. This is Taylor Sheridan's second directorial outing after Wind River so Mm. yeah excited yeah sounds good sounds great to me and we're going to finish off with some very very sad news this week that Mm. John Singleton the director of Boys in the Hood and Too Fast Too Furious and Poetic Justice and the the 2000 reboot slash sequel of Shaft uh, died this week at the age of just 51 he had suffered a massive stroke recently and after much deliberation his family decided to turn his life support systems off, which is obviously not an easy decision to make. And uh, there's been an outpouring of of love uh, for Singleton, uh, who was a bit of a trailblazer and a bit of a trendsetter for Mm. African-American filmmakers. Uh, His first film was Boys in the Hood. And he was nominated for Best Director at the Oscars for that at the age of 23, which I believe is still a record. Mm -hmm. And after that, I think it's probably fair to say that his career didn't go in the direction that he wanted. And I'm sure there's all sorts of reasons for that. Black filmmakers find it very, very hard in Hollywood, especially around the time Singleton was breaking through. So I imagine the projects coming his way were not ideal. And uh, his next film after that was Poetic Justice with Janet Jackson, which I believe is still her only uh, starring role in the movie. That's a really good film, that. Mm. With Tupac as well. Amazing yes, cast. that's right. And that's Regina right. King as well. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic cast. And but it didn't ha- it didn't catch on the way Boys and Hood did, mm. and so presumably after that he just found it harder and harder to get opportunities. But then he still made really interesting, crowd pleasing stuff like Too Fast, Too Furious, and yep. Shaft. And it's a real shame because he seemed to be working on lots of lots of cool things. Brian Koppelman, who's the uh, the co showrunner and creator of Billions, uh, Singleton directed an episode of Billions. And Singleton had been working in the last few years in TV. And Brian Koppelman said that he they had been working on a pilot together for maybe a show that they were going to try and launch mm. as well. But whenever a Singleton died at 51, wow. It's no age at all, yeah. It, it is really sad. I think you're right. I don't think he had the opportunities. I think that maybe I would hope that African-American filmmakers coming through now who had the same sort of career path as he had or certainly start to his career would have way more opportunities open to them. And I think a lot of that is down to him and a lot of that is down to the fact that, you know, he was he was kind of there first. So, yeah, it's, and it's... it's uh, Again, it's such a such a young age to go, um, mm. and especially with someone who might just have been sort of finding his feet again. There's a lovely tribute from Ice Cube about this, who obviously credited uh, Singleton with making him a movie star. Yeah. You know, to elevating him to that position. He'd not done anything before Boys in the Hood, and uh, he's the absolute standout in that he's film. He's stunning in that film. Incredible. Uh, I also really enjoyed. <laughs> this is a strange recommendation, but I also really enjoyed Four Brothers. If you haven't seen that, that's a I really have, solid yeah. thriller. Mm. Also, I mean, it's not much more to say other than it's a tremendous. Tremendous shame. But if you want to go back and, and dig into his filmography, there's mm. there's loads of stuff there beside Boys in the Hood. Yeah. But do start with that. If you haven't but do seen start it, with that, yes. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a massive favour and watch it. Absolutely. Uh, John Singleton, who passed away this week at the age of just 51. 
Okay, just a quick addendum now to the news section. We are back in the studio the morning after we recorded the podcast, the main podcast, because uh, some news happened overnight that we, well, we need to react to and we want to react to. Very, very sad news in one case. We should start with the disclosure overnight that the director of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, Jeff Fowler, took to Twitter last night and said that they have heard people's concerns about the design of Sonic the Hedgehog, which obviously we were talking about in the main podcast, and that they're going to address them. They're going to change the design of Sonic the Hedgehog for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. So they have about five months to do so. And people power, I guess, but also, why didn't they get it right in the first place? I mean, absolutely. There was kind of no excuse for putting it out the way it did. It looked not just terrible, but also just upsetting, as we said before. And I think they probably will go down the more caricatured route now and keep it slightly closer to the Sonic people Mm. are familiar with. I would guess, but um, sympathies to all the VFX artists who are now going to be working overtime yes. um, to try and get this finished, because that's a that's a huge job, I imagine, at this yeah, point. Yeah, and you you got to think that they were probably working to a brief, and they like, we did what you told us oh, to yeah, do! Oh, yeah, absolutely. It won't be, it, you know, yeah, it's, it won't be it's the people fault. who signed off on the design yeah, exactly. um, who obviously have the, the power lunatics. here. Mm. <laughs> I tell you, this wouldn't have happened if they'd had Knuckles the Echidna. So that um, clearly was the frivolous movie news we wanted to talk about this morning. The serious movie news, uh, very, very sad movie news that happened overnight, is the news that Peter Mayhew, who brought, of course, Chewbacca, my favourite Star Wars character, to life across a series of Star Wars movies right from the off with A New Hope back in 1977, passed away last night at the age of 74. Mm. Very, very sad news indeed. Yeah, I mean, he was such a huge presence, literally huge presence as Chewbacca. But, you know, there was real kind of warmth to that character, even though he was hidden under all those prosthetics. And, you know, he spent years talking to the fans and, and being sort of a part of the Star Wars community as well, which he'll be missed for. But he was well, he was picked up, he was working as like a hospital orderly or something, wasn't he, when he mm. was picked up to do acting. I think he did a Sinbad film bef- just before Star, Star Wars and then put on the Chewbacca suit and the rest is kind of history. But yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes one role is all it takes. Yeah. It's it's funny to have spent his whole career essentially covered in a suit of yak hair and to have become famous for that. But he uh he, he gave he gave us a really sort of like memorable physical performance in mm. that. Like there's so much personality in Chewbacca just from his eyes and the way he cocks his head. Yeah, I, I don't what would what would Star Wars have been like without Chewbacca? Mm. I, I hate to think. When I went to Celebration recently they showed some kind of outtake footage. It was really just rehearsal footage from Star Wars. Where well, you can hear him speaking the lines. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and it's him sitting with like Ford and Guinness and Hamill and Fisher in the cockpit of the Falcon. Uh, and there were a couple of them actually and there was the uh, there was the early one where it's the travelling through hyperspace saying like Dustin Cropsport and they're all laughing at how terrible the dialogue is. And because it was like a read through he's doing it without the head on so it's just him with thick black eyeliner. <laughs> and he's having so much fun and he looked he looked like he just loved every minute of it. Oh. Yeah, it's amazing. I always I love the fact that they write Chewbacca's dialogue in the script and mm. it appears in English. And so <laughs> yes. there there are there yes. is footage of Mayhew on set speaking it in English. Speaking yeah. it so the actors know what Chewbacca is saying so they yeah. can react to it accordingly. And uh those those moments are incredible and they should have just left it in with that sort of thick Londony accent. Mm. Uh, I, I just love Chewbacca. I think that character has so much character and brings so much mm-hmm. to Star Wars. Yeah. And uh, it's not just a human fest, then, is it, with with, uh, with Chewie in the background there? No, he, he gave a really soulful performance. I, th- I think that people identified that Chewbacca wasn't just, you know, a great walking carpet. And I love, uh, do you ever see those ridiculous parody books, those sort of... Uh, uh, the Force Doth Awaken Shakespearean mm-hmm. Star Wars thing. There's a brilliant one for, for Force Awakens where um, when Solo dies 
you just have Chewie going, Rrr! and then there's an asterisk by it where they do a trans, and he does this whole iambic <laughs> pentameter, two page sort of like death soliloquy for Han, and it just the depth of their feelings and relationship. I thought they really summed up the fact that everyone realizes there's a lot more going on beneath the fur. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't simply a case of just getting the tall fella and sticking him in a costume. No. Otherwise, no. anyone could have done it. And I love that he took the time to sort of talk his, his successor through the character yeah. and, and you know, try and ensure that Chewie yeah. would still feel like Chewie. Yunus Otama actually does very good Chewie noises. He does, He's yeah. surprisingly good at it. Anyway, we love Chewie and we love Peter Mayhew and we're very, very sad indeed to hear of his passing. Peter Mayhew, who died aged 74. And now we will return you to our regularly scheduled podcast programming. Okay, time now then for this week's guest. And as I've already mentioned, it is Nicholas Holt making a return to the Empire podcast. Uh, fantastic. I was going to say young British actor, but he ain't that anymore, is he? He's over the hill now. He's quite young. Chris. I mean, he's nearly, what, 30? Oh, Knacker's Yard, Helen. But he stars this week as J.R.R. Tolkien in Tolkien, a biopic of J.R.R. Tolkien. And I went along to a London hotel this week to have a chat with him, and we had a good old laugh the morning after the, the premiere, in fact. So he was uh, he was nursing some grapefruit juice, and we talked about that. We talked about the upcoming X-Men Dark Phoenix, and uh, some other stuff that I've forgotten. But it was a lot of fun. Nicholas Holt. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Abra podcast by the star of Tolkien. Tolkien? What are you, you saying, Nicholas Holt? When I got sent the script to this, and I, I, I when I saw the front page... If I'd if I'd read it aloud, <laughs> I would have said Tolkien. Yeah, because that's what I would always said <laughs> throughout my life. And then <laughs> I, I did in-depth research for playing <laughs> the character and realised that I did not know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, it's pronounced Tolkien. Tolkien. We've all been doing it wrong. Judy for Dench years. helped because she did the voiceover for a documentary that I watched. Okay. Judy Dench is never wrong. But Tolkien. Isn't language fluent? Fluid. Fluid? Apparently not. No, uh, <laughs> it's early. Um, it's so early, man. Thanks for joining us this early in the morning. Um, well, one of us was at is, the premiere last night, so I imagine you're in more shape than I am. I am in. I I am. I'm dragging. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I had to go and do a morning TV show as well, and I I set ten. I, no exaggeration. Ten alarms. I looked at my phone what? this morning. I set ten. Well, what do you mean? Like ten separate devices? Ten separate alarms, all <laughs> spaced within five minutes. No, all on one device, but we're spaced within five minute increments. Nah, that's dangerous. Of like you have to be up. Now nah, that's dangerous. You cannot not be there because you just press snooze ten times. Whereas if you have ten devices and you, who has ten kind of, devices? That everyone they can has set ten alarms devices. on. Okay, so you probably have a phone. Yeah, you probably have an iPad. Right. Yeah. Okay. Do you have like some sort of Google Home device type thing? You no. can set up than that. Well, you should get one. There you go. That's three. We're at two. Um, set five alarms and two devices. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite difficult to have ten sorted. devices you can set alarms. It on, is. Isn't it? I've got I've got about three or four, but I don't want to boast. You know. <laughs> I don't want to brag. This isn't about me, Nick. This is it's, it's about you. We're talking we Tolkien. Show, show off. <laughs> All that Empire cash <laughs> over the years, all those fat stacks of Benjamins that Empire been sending my way. Uh, but anyway, the film Tolkien. Um, so you got the pronunciation. What sort of what other research did you do, or did you just stop at that point? And go. That, that I've seen it. Lord of the Rings. Ultimately, I, I did that, and I was like, "All right, good. Crack on. I know Roll the, the cameras. That's it. Yeah, I'm ready." Well, it, it was interesting actually because reading the script, I, I realised that you know I was I was a fan. I got given the Hobbit on the set of About a Boy, the directors gave me that to read. And then and then I grew up, the movies 
were, were huge. You were in me. the sweet spot, weren't you? You were about. I was 30, 12, yeah. 13, I think, when the first yeah. one came out, something around there. And I was just blown away. Like, Not to brag. <laughs> <laughs> Not to brag. But I was 12. I loved them. Like that Battle of Helm's Deep and stuff. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that in film. And still now, I'm like, when I see it, I'm like blown away by what, what Peter Jackson did. So yeah, I was a fan and, and I played the card game. <laughs> I stayed behind after school and played the card game as well and all these sorts of things. And then, and then I, I realized reading the script, I was like, wow, I know nothing about this man, which is quite bizarre nowadays yeah. because I feel like I know a lot of things about people that I don't even know who the person is and what they do. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I know that they were <laughs> having dinner there on Tuesday. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then I was like, well, this is someone who's really like sculpted a mythology that I I love and has impacted my life hugely. And I was like, I know nothing about him. So to learn that, that story behind the story um, was remarkable. And he had an incredible life. And, and then in terms of research, yeah, it's a lot of, I mean, later in life, you can find um, interviews with him and, and recordings of him. But at the period we focus on his formative years up until kind of beginning to write The Hobbit. So it's... Um, not like doing an impression where you sit there and yeah, you of kind of read his work and read his biographies and and l get all the information you can and then kind of put the puzzle together of what you imagine they might have been like in that time look at me with this <laughs> goblet of grapefruit juice i just looked down and i realized how ridiculous this might seem how unrock and roll as well if i was like a cool rock See, and roll person I'd, this would be wine red wine oh, in the morning that's it is for the purposes um, of this podcast yeah and, uh, just sitting, yeah, you've just been mainlining heroin <laughs> um <laughs> and uh, some red wine it's not so, grapefruit juice but you brought attention to grapefruit juice i, I wasn't going to mention it yeah i'm, drink, I'm drinking good for you grapefruit juice. i'm drinking water I'm, would you, you know, like some grapefruit juice? no i'm fine i wouldn't dream of taking a grapefruit juice <laughs> um well, I've forgotten where I was. But uh, yeah, so basically, I, but basically okay. I, yeah, you learn as much as you can. I, I would do, I would do watercolors, paintings of really? of, of his work. Yeah, because that was something I didn't realize that he had done. Yeah, all the maps and 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 drawings as well. So anything kind of slightly tangible, even if it's not something that on the on the day to day you're thinking about when you're doing the scene, it's hopefully something that distills through your brain and subconsciously. Mm perforates the character somehow so you have all your preparation you get up to day one you're pretty much ready to rock and roll but once the cameras start rolling does that learning process continue or are you too wrapped up in a way in the filming process to to take any more it off? No, yeah it still continues because the script changes and the story that you're telling changes so you're still learning and and developing that and it to be honest with you it's <laughs> i don't think i've ever got to the end of a job and not been like Oh, you know what? It'd be really good to start again because I think I could do it better now. <laughs> I think I could do it better now because you suddenly, you know, it's it's a moving target in many ways, and everything's out of order, and 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 you finish the job with this new understanding and knowledge where you go, oh, yeah, could have probably changed that or done that differently. And on an X Men movie, you can do that. You can go back because there will be additional shooting, and there's normally know. always reshoots, and you can <laughs> yeah. go back and be like, oh, tweak that and change that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But on Tolkien. You can't do that. There's not that. No, <laughs> not no. That, yeah. So I don't know. There's there's some elements of like you can try and you can try and give a variety of takes on the scene that you're doing, so that uh -huh. hopefully in the edit they can, you know, do we have a do we have a happier version? <laughs> yeah, no. Take three. He was really happy. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he was um, looking at the camera and all oh, but one take. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, directly at the camera. Yeah. I don't know what was going on there. Um, there's a bit not to not to get too much into spoilers by Tolkien. I mean, it is on the spoiler internet. alert. Spoiler we were just talking about Tolkien. spoilers. But you said it does. Uh, this movie does end with him beginning to write The Hobbit. Yeah. And is that you 
writing that at the end because we get to see him writing and the handwriting is phenomenal, is right? Phenomenal. It's beautiful. The calligraphy is yes. something. Calligraphy, remarkable. that's a good word. Yeah. Um, was that you making those no. strokes? Okay, okay. No, right. it was not me. But you know, <laughs> Bit of movie magic. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, we had an artist in to do that because my handwriting is not the best. <laughs> and you know what? I have actually had calligraphy lessons. We did them for the favorite okay. where we'd have a quill and ink and dip it. And it was a lovely experience, actually. We all sat there and we had a glass of sake whilst we did it. And, and I did learn a little bit of it for that. But to make it look film beautiful. Yes. That's like not something that I yes. could get to the point of doing. I, I couldn't help but think that is wonderful calligraphy. That's what that, that's the word I that was running not, through my head. Calligraphy. Yeah. That's all I was thinking about. <laughs> I hadn't forgotten what it was called until you reminded me. And uh, but also, it must have taken him ages to write the book because <laughs> at the speed he was going, look how slow he's going. <laughs> I mean, Come on, it took him five minutes to write one word. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, how the hell did he write the Lord of the Rings? But the, the incredible thing about that him beginning to write The Hobbit is obviously he'd come invented these languages and worlds and, and all these things um, so they'd been in his his mind for a long time but then the the story that I learned um, I think this is true is that basically he was marking tests when he was a professor at Oxford he was marking tests and someone had left a blank page on one of their tests so he was uh, sat, sat there marking and then was like a blank page <laughs> I guess I'll write The Hobbit, is <laughs> essentially, I guess, how it worked. And it wrote, in a hole in the ground, there lived The Hobbit. And you kind of go, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What, what are you How doing? lucky that that person yeah. left a blank page and they said, who was that? We should know the name of that person. We should know the name of that person. they've blessed us all. Yeah. Uh, Dave Bristow, I believe, was the name of that person. Uh, yeah. Dave Bristow of, uh, of Cheltenham. Whenever, if, I don't really <laughs> take many tests anymore. Since leaving school, but <laughs> but if I was to leave, if I was to do more tests now, uh-huh. I would leave blank pages purposefully. But you have loads of downtime on on movies to do tests. Yeah, yeah you movie types. You're always in your trailers waiting to be called on on set. Yeah, that's you know. true. We do just sit around doing nothing what, most of the time. Absolutely, you know. And then the tales of practical jokes and whatnot on the set of the X Men movies are are, are legendary. Yeah, um, yeah. We had we had we had a good giggle on X Men. <laughs> yeah, but you've been wasting your time. You should have been writing The Hobbit too. I should have been. That's the when you realize when you add up all the time that you've wasted doing nothing. <laughs> you're like, oh, I probably could have done something useful. <laughs> but sometimes you come up with great things i've got like lots of videos lo- lots of dub smashes and like, dance <laughs> videos and things like that which you know important stuff they're not important well they're not important <laughs> but they important. are they make people giggle when i show them yeah that's that's it that's yeah. that's probably all that tolkien was doing when he was writing the hobbit he thought oh, i'll just make some people giggle but he didn't know <laughs> they love was, this yeah he, he didn't know what was going to happen ultimately um but there is there is a little bit of i mean you know last week i think the tolkien family released a statement saying mm-hmm. that they weren't involved with this movie and what did that mean for you? Did you try to to talk to them for research for this, and were the shutters down? Uh, we we weren't in contact in the, in the making of the film. I hope when they see it, it's something that they like. I feel like that's kind of a blanket approach to um, mm. what we're doing, and they've got obviously lots of other things in development and shows and all these sorts of things um, that they're protective of and whatever else. But um, foremost as a fan, I feel like we're celebrating his life it's an incredible story everything that he went through and 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 bizarre that we don't all know this story um 
So I hope they like it when they see it. We, we were lucky we had um, his, his great-grandson, Callum, um, came along and, and, and shot some of the World, one, World War One sequences with us. And he was at the premiere last night. And I think he liked the film, so... <laughs> that was kind of the the biggest yeah. test for me in some ways. Yeah. yeah, so go back, spread the word, spread the word to the rest of the Tolkien family. Yeah, yeah and tell them. You know, to, yeah, maybe they'll like it. Maybe they'll yeah. sit and they'll be like, yeah, you know what? And Dome is such a, a huge fan and 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 has many similarities and understanding in terms of Tolkien's real life. That I'm, he he's the perfect director for it and so passionate. And mm. I feel like if they got to spend five minutes with him, they'd be like, oh, actually, yeah, this makes complete sense that this has been told. Hmm. Yeah, some of the World War One imagery, the way that it clearly impacted upon Tolkien, or certainly less the way that it's being presented in, in this film, mm. is, is really interesting. I mean, it, you know, he's quoted as saying that World War One wasn't an allegory for things mm. he created, but of course, even if you're not directly drawing from it, your experiences naturally kind of mm. flow into to what you're doing and creating. Mm. That is what you draw from. Um, and yeah, this was a really beautiful take on World War One. A beautiful is not the right word because. It's horrific, and the more I learned about that um, that war and research for this, it was horrifying. But Dome mm. really wanted to. A lot of the images you see from that are black and white kind of propaganda images. So this kind of thing of the reality of what that war was, and then mixing that with uh, Tolkien had trench fever. Um, so he it, this hallucinatory, quite cinematic versions of of war where it's very brutal and real in some elements but also you get these kind of fantasy twists within it mm, absolutely no it's 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 the startling stuff and uh, just to move on to what you're doing next it's just been announced you're working with Taylor Sheridan on his yeah on his next movie yeah I'm excited about that uh, it's called Those Who Wish Me Dead is that is that right yeah Those Who yeah. Wish Me Dead what a title it's a fantastic title it's cool right very hard bitten very hard bitten. Yeah, very like noirish, isn't it? You know, those who wish me dead. Yeah, I feel cool saying it. <laughs> I was put it those yeah. who wish me dead. Those who wish me dead. Yeah, what can you what cool. can you say about that? I guess not too much because <laughs> the spoilers at this point. Because because of yeah spoilers. Um, Does it end with you writing something? Uh, it ends with me writing the Hobbit <laughs> again. That's how everything's going to end from now on. Um, no, it's. Uh, I'm just so excited to work with him, like um, Wind River and Sicario and Hell or High Water, some of my favourite mm-hmm. films from, from the last five, ten years. And um, yeah, I love his, his storytelling. So I'm mm. excited to see what his process is and be in that world. And I feel like his films are very different from, I don't know, the favourite and yeah. this world kind of yeah, yeah. tottering around in heels and a wig. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a, a very different thing to to jump into although it seems quite bizarre to be talking about because we start fairly soon it's quite bizarre to be sitting talking about it in a hotel room talking about Tolkien <laughs> and, and then realising in my head I'm like oh you've got to get ready for that pronto As, yeah I was going to say what, what's your, how is your prep coming are you, are you, are you not ready? great because I'm sat here chatting to you <laughs> oh well it's my fault all of a sudden so is this what you're saying if, if, you, if the if film people comes are, out if people and- are like you weren't very good on that I'm like, well you know why I was doing the Empire podcast <laughs> We get blamed for so so much. It's uh, but you can, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's it only there's only fifteen minute chat, Nick. Honestly, you're ruining cinema. Sort it out. <laughs> sort it out. And then of course you've got Dark Phoenix as well. Yeah. And that that now feels like it may well be the final X Men movie with with you guys in it yeah. at least. Uh, what's your what's your your feeling about that after after all these years? I feel fortunate to have got, I mean, to be a part of it, first of all, because, you know, I grew up with those movies as well. The, I mean, that's the funny thing, like the Lord of the Rings movies and the X-Men movies were the things that I was a, a real fan of when when I was growing up. Um, 
and the cartoon and all those things. So to get to play that character was truly an honour. But then it was one of those things whereby in this last outing, Simon Kimberg gave a really nice place to go with the character and um, a new take on it. So that was something whereby if, if it is the last time that I get to play him, I feel very lucky to have got to push it to that. Mm. new area and place as opposed to as opposed to being like all right that's it your time's up they're getting someone newer younger fresher better <laughs> faster quicker and then and then i watch them and, and I, do you know what i mean i feel like if i if i if it, if i found out that it was all over and i felt like i'd just done the same thing for four movies i'd be like oh that's disappointing yeah but i feel like throughout those four movies it's been it's been a real um evolution so uh, yeah there is growth there as well and also, were you surprised that Beast's uh, arc ends in this movie with him doing dub smashes whilst riding The Hobbit? Was that, <laughs> was that a surprise for you? Whilst riding The You know what? I've got some great photos of me like on set of that doing watercolours of Tolkien's work. Because <laughs> I was prepping for that whilst... Because Tolkien started shooting yeah, pretty soon after Dark Phoenix. So I was prepping that whilst like <laughs> in these action sequences, huge sets. <laughs> I'd go to like the little beast tent that we have and go and go and sit in there and like do my Tolkien prep and then go back out and carry on doing my action hero stuff. In the full beast kit? Full beast kit, yeah. Oh my God, I need to see these pictures. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to throw them up. <laughs> I'm going to throw him up on the old gram. The old gram. Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, Nick, it's been a pleasure as always. Hey, good to see you, man. Best luck. Cheers, man. Thank Thanks. you. Okay, so that was Nicholas Holt. And now let's start the reviews section of the show with a long shot. Long shot. <laughs> in which Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron get it together. Spoiler. <laughs> I'm guessing. I mean, it's not unfair from the poster. But yeah, so um, Seth Rogen is this uh, investigative journalist for a sort of underground paper. He gets laid off because he's just so pure in his anti-corporate stance. His friend takes him out to celebrate and takes him along to uh, this party where he meets the Secretary of State, who is not only Charlize Theron, she's also his former babysitter as a teenager. And she needs a speechwriter as she begins her presidential bid. And he's right there, you know, and he kind of knows her and he kind of knows her voice and knows what she cares about. And, you know, and so one thing leads to another and he joins her staff. So yeah, I really was not excited about this on the basis of the trailers. I thought they looked super boring and very predictable and like everything I'd seen before. And it's actually kind of delightful. It's a little bit Madam Secretary, obviously, because she's got you the same like job. Madam Secretary. I love Madam mm. Secretary. And you gave up watching I it, know, so you have no right to I argue know. with me. It's no designated survivor, though, is it? It's better than Designated Survivor. It's not as good as The West Wing. It's in that area. I mean, what is Helen? Vast what is? area. In, well, nothing. Even the four-star masterpiece that is Molly's Game is not a patch on The West Wing. No, it's not, because it's three stars. <laughs> anyway, there's shades of Madam Secretary there, and, and also shades of sort of a more Seth Rogen-y kind of outrageous comedy kind of stuff. There's a lot of kind of silly physical comedy. There's some bits where it goes a little bit too far, and you're like, okay, no Secretary of State would ever allow anything like that to happen anywhere close to them. Like, that's just not a thing. But at the same time, it's kind of entertaining. And they're actually really likeable together. And you can sort of see why this goddess would take up with Seth Rogen. <laughs> you know, it's sort of, it, there's a kind of sense to it that kind of was charming to me. Yeah, I sadly haven't seen Long Shot yet. Uh, I missed every single screening because I was in the States. But I've heard good things about this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Good work, Jonathan Levine. Uh, you mentioned, we mentioned Ice Cube before. This also features O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, ah. his son, in a, a nice little supporting role, by the way. So, so four stars? Four stars. Four stars then for Longshot. Incredible. <laughs> 
Next up, we have the second film as director of Brady Corbet, former Thunderbird, now turned art house guru, and this is Fox Lux. It is indeed. Jimbo. Yes, this is Vox Lux, which is of course Latin for shouting at light bulbs, uh, and stars <laughs> no, and stars oh. Brady Corbet, <laughs> aka Derek from Twenty Four. So, uh, so all of these are nice things. This is a <laughs> this is a film of very much of two very distinct halves. Ah. Uh, it is a film about a singer called Celeste who is talent spotted while singing at the memorial service for a high school shooting, which happened to a school that she survives, and she is turned into a kind of pop star diva singer songwriter in the sort of Gaga, Britney, Katy Perry type mould. And she's played very, very well by Raffi Cassidy in the first half. And it's actually, it's got a real art house sensibility to it. It's really, really hard hitting. So it starts with a high school shooting. I went into this blind not knowing what this film was about. I thought, oh, Vox Lux sing it's be like a star is born, you know, whatever. You go in and one of the first things that happens is a teacher gets shot in the chest. Like it's really, really full on, incredibly powerful opening. And the whole first half, which shows her as a kind of a teenager feeling her way into this business, getting into the music industry, her manager, Jude Law, and sort of meeting up with different people and trying to sort of navigate that world and find her voice because she sings at this memorial service and becomes a big star and then she has to try and repeat that. And then the film stops and then starts again. It skips forward 18 years and Rafi Cassidy is now replaced by Natalie Portman as Celeste, but Rafi Cassidy persists as Celeste's daughter. So she switches roles and becomes her own daughter for the second half. The second half, unfortunately, Bored my absolute tits off. Uh, no, genuinely, like I, I, fe- I felt this felt like a film where the first half of this is like four bordering on five stars, and the second half of it for me was three bordering on two stars. Why? Uh, it, it's a completely different vibe. Like it doesn't have that same sensibility. It doesn't have the same power. It doesn't even have the same level of intensity. So it feels like. There's a, there's a nice affectation in this where Willem Dafoe essentially narrates this in a documentarian way where he's talking about Celeste and he's explaining periods of her life. And when it picks up 18 years later, she has become big, she's had a big scandal, and now she's on a comeback tour. And her album, her comeback album, is, is Vox Lux. And he talks about periods in her life which sound far more interesting than what we actually see. So it feels like he's narrating a better film, which is somehow happening off camera. And actually, you just get to see her being a right stroppy twat and just being horrible to people and shouting at people in diners and being a terrible mother and just being a terrible person. And you're waiting for it to come to a point because she is a star that was born out of violence and there is a plot point in the second half where she seems to almost lead to violence as well and it doesn't feel like those threads are properly drawn together and by the end of the film you're not quite sure what the point of the film was so it it absolutely had me hooked for the first half absolutely lost me in the second half however i will say that this is a film that seems to like its structure kind of has split people like it's had some very positive reviews mm. Ian Freer who reviewed it for us very much enjoyed it yes, he, uh, did. he did have I think the same issues that I did but they didn't bother him as much he Ian thought this a was generous and kind of he is soul. he's a much nicer person than I am uh, he thought this was kind of had the melodrama of A Star Is Born but brought an art house sensibility to it sort of like an indie spirit to it and he that was very much his jam not so much mine so he gave this four stars I would have given it three at most but you know I have the black heart of Thanos. So that is true. We can we can confirm that. Yes, uh, very much so. In fact, so that is Brady Corbet's Vox Lux, which we gave four very generous stars to. Oh okay, then four stars for Fox Lux. James didn't like it. Uh, he did. He really didn't give a fox. But uh, maybe you will. So maybe check it out this week. And uh, that leaves us in Tolkien. Yeah, we're talking Tolkien. Look who's Tolkien. <laughs> Indeed, look who's talking. Well, it was Nicholas it's Holt. Nicholas yeah. Holt. Mm. So it's a 
biopic of the early life of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. Um, going from his school days where he's not always played by Nicholas Holt. It sort of starts off a little bit earlier than that, right up to, through his war experience and sort of, you know, just uh, there's not very much of the film after the war but there's a little bit of kind of dealing with that but it is it's a matter of public record so i'm sorry i don't consider any of this a spoiler but it's basically him meeting the the woman who had become his wife which he did very early on in his life and he was in love with her forever and they were actually crazy about each other mm-hmm. um and also losing several of his closest friends in world war 1 and and being quite traumatized by that that experience and the ways that that experience then fed into his later work in fantasy novels. So there's kind of some interesting stuff here. I think the problem is, you know, you were saying that it feels like there's more interesting stuff happening off screen mm. in Vox Lux. There's a little bit of that going on here as well. well. There's Lord of the Rings, which is clearly better. Well, yes, and, and also, <laughs> but, you know, he, by the standards of World War One, I, I mean, he survived with all of his limbs intact. You know, mm-hmm. he was certainly shaken up by it, as anyone would be, but he wasn't the primary victim here of the war. Mm. Uh, this is a perfectly decent mm. stab, I would say, at a biopic. But you're right, there's not a lot of real drama in his life other than he's not that privileged. He's not privileged as no, not all, his, yeah. uh, his, his, fellow, uh, his fellow friends. And so he struggles a little bit to get along mm. uh, at, at university. It's weird. Structurally, the film is very weird. So mm. it will flit around from World War One, where he's suffering trench fever. To him, you know, coming up, living in living life in Birmingham, and then moving on to university, and then falling in love with Lily Collins, uh, Edith. But the World War One stuff, you know, he's in the trenches of World War One, so he sees people with flamethrowers. But then we see it as dragons, and at one point you see something that looks like Sauron. So the the indication, the implication mm. is that he was inspired by images that he saw in World yeah. War One, which, uh, as, as and, you heard in the interview with Nicole, that Tolkien apparently then said, no, that wasn't the case. Mm. But but obviously it may be unconscious and, yeah. and so on. And, and so there's forth, a bit yeah. of artistic license yeah. here, and that's, yeah. that's all fine. You can imagine the meeting here. Yeah, we can do a thing on Tolkien. Yeah. How do we get dragons and Sauron into the World War One sequence? They're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in, it's in the trailer as well, isn't it? Like the dragon mm. bit. So it's, it really, it feels it's quite a good, manipulative. Good dragon. It's a, mm. it's a good dragon. It gives good dragon. Yeah, it really does give good dragon. Good performances throughout. Yeah, good you performances. Know, uh, Nicholas Holt is 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 fine as Tolkien. To- that's him. That's a fellow. Uh, J.R. Tolkien. He is Tolkien. a fellow. Is what he yes, indeed he did. Lily Collins uh, as well is is fine. Colomini. That's Gimli. Yeah, Derek, <laughs> Derek Jacobi. <laughs> well, no, Gimli. Let's not talk about Gimli, shall we? After Jeremy's Davies' appearance on Question Time, which caused quite the kerfuffle over here when he started yelling at people. Uh, bad dates. Bad dates. Bad dates. But, you know, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine, perfectly mm. decent uh, stuff. And we gave this... Three stars. Mm. Three stars for Tolkien. Which is a recommendation. Which is indeed a recommendation. That you go and watch Lord of the Rings instead. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but Chris, who shot J.R.R.? And the answer oh, is Lasse Frank Johannesson, who is the cinematographer <laughs> on this movie. <laughs> So there we go. Oh, oh, I thought it was I thought it was Maggie Simpson. So good to know. <laughs> the casting in this, the casting was was made by Kate Ringsell. <gasps> Coincidence or conspiracy? Find out <laughs> in next week's episode of the Empire Podcast, uh, because there will be an episode of the podcast next week. Because that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Hurrah! Hurrah! We Hurrah. made it. Join us next week for more film-related fun. Where we'll be joined by. Get your art house hats on, everybody. Producer Jane's going to love this. Claire Denis. 
the Mon legendary, Dieu. the legendary French director Claire Denis Villeneuve, the director of oh, Dune, oh my God. the exciting upcoming movie. Oh no! What a way to just erase a woman's achievements, James. <laughs> I know. I mean, idiot child. Fair. Uh, so she's uh, her new film High Life is in cinemas next week, and we will be chatting to her. Very Hooray. very exciting. Very exciting indeed. Until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Hey kids, ask your parents where babies come from. <laughs> you see, he, he professes like not to like Teen then, Titans. Do you see me laughing? And then, and then he quotes it. The greatest closing line of last year. <laughs> and it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to get poked in the back and have liquid sprayed in my face. Am I going to see Avengers Endgame of 40X? Or am I going to Dildo Con 19? Find out next week. Thanks for listening. Oh, see God. you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 